Ron DeSantis. If Ron DeSantis might be more fascist than Donald Trump and just a little bit smarter. It's not necessarily, oh, we're going to have a civil war in two, but I'm just saying, if you look at that statistic there, it shows just because the civil war is, is over doesn't mean that animosity just goes away, or you automatically are like, yeah, we were wrong. Hey, I'm so sorry. Yeah, we were wrong. This is the Snap Up, where each week, Tim Costello and Scott Barzilla help you digest their favorite stories from the world of sports and politics. The, the history books have gotten away with a lot of the bad things that we've done as society because they were non-Christian nations. And just like the dreaded Snap Book, don't be surprised when start bringing you over to the left side of the fairway. Back in the good old days, you could have gotten a job doing just about anything if you sat there and said, I have a college degree. But now, that's not the case. So we're going to sit there, we're going to back on these kids, we're going to sit there and say, you're going to owe, you know, thousands of dollars of debt. And in many cases, some of them pay for maybe twenty or $30,000 they borrow. They might pay two or three hundred thousand dollars in their lifetime with all the competitive interest. And now here are your hackers of the week, Tim Costello and Scott Barzilla. Welcome back into the Snap Hook. It's Thursday morning. It is Masters Week, and it is a tradition unlike any other. Scott, are you feeling it? Are you feeling the azaleas in bloom? I uh, wish. I, I'm actually have an ex-student of mine, uh, probably graduated right around when you did, but from Clear Creek. And he showed pictures from there. He actually, you know, this was on his bucket list. It was like, man, what I wouldn't give, you know, to, to be there right now while, you know, watching this tournament. Ah, uh, that's that one's up there for me. The uh, I, I'd love to have one of the peach ice cream cookie sandwiches at Augusta. Hopefully seeing Tiger, but I'd settle for uh, like a, a Morikawa or something like that. So, yeah, we in fact, we had a great uh, golf conversation uh, with Sean Bajani in one of our previous episodes uh, where Tim brought up the idea, you know, of the them scaling back the golf ball. Of course, Sean came up with the great suggestion of just, you know, bringing in some top flights, you know, that you could get at the academy and have that, you know, be the golf ball for you. But um, the Masters is such a unique event because, you know, depending on where they're playing the PGA Championship and the British Open, you know, on a yearly basis, this does alternate. The U.S. Open is always, you always have that six-inch rough. Uh, that is just brutal. You know, that basically guarantees you a bogey every time you hit into it. And so guys don't feel comfortable bombing it at a U.S. Open, and I wouldn't either if I was capable of it. So the Masters is really one event where I think length gives you such an advantage because, you know, it's a little bit more wide open than your standard, you know, uh, major championship. And you know, the greens require such precision. I mean, it's not just hitting a green. you got to hit it to a specific spot on the green in order to have a good putt at it. And so if you're hitting driver nine iron or driver wedge, I mean, that is such a huge advantage over even somebody hitting driver seven iron or six iron. 
And so that, that's this one where those long knockers really, you know, they really have a, a good uh, a good advantage in this event. Absolutely. If you're going to win at Augusta, you got to be a you've got to be a fantastic driver of the golf ball. And you mentioned the, the long rough that the U.S. Open typically has, and the PGA typically is pretty lengthy rough wise as well. But but the U.S. the USGA typically um, has a mind of its own. The the way that Augusta protects itself is so fantastic too because it's it's not the deep rough. It's the way they utilize that pine straw. And the pine straw just allows your ball to keep running further and further into the woods. And so when you go to the U.S. Open, your ball's stuck in that rough and you may lose some distance, but you're also just in heavy rough. Well, at the Masters, your ball just keeps rolling on that pine straw. And next thing you know, you are in jail and there is nowhere to go but a punch out. Um, and it's it's such a brilliant course because if you're hitting the driver well, you can go out there and shoot 65. If you're not hitting the tee ball well, you can go out there and shoot 75 real, real fast and maybe even worse. And it's just, it's also so exciting because it's the only major that's played at the same course every single year. So you've just, if you're someone who grew up around the game of golf, there's just so many fantastic moments on every single hole. You know, when you think of, when you think of 16, you think of Tigers chipping with the Nike ball hanging over the logo, right? Or when you think of 12, you think of Greg Norman, uh, choking away the lead to, to Nick Faldo in 96 and hitting it in the water on the 12th hole. Or, you know, and, uh, when you think of 15, you think of Phil Mickelson from the pine straw between two trees, knocking it on in two. Every one of those holes, especially on coming down the stretch on the back nine, there's memories. And it's because we're playing there every single year. There's, you know, the ghosts of Augusta are real. You can You can remember those things. Yeah, I think what makes the Masters fun for me um, and this is just, you know, for me and my, and my golf game, what I'm thinking of is I, I've played courses that were hard courses, but they had risk reward holes. They had holes that you could birdie, you know, pretty easily if you, you know, did something right. And on that exact same hole, you could get eight or nine, you know, very easily. And then there are courses, and, and this is where I've kind of, you know, been the last few years, and this is possibly the deterioration of my game where it feels like I'm going to the dentist without Novocaine. Um, Cause you, you're just getting drilled every hole. Like one of them, I, uh, we played, uh, we have our family weekend actually, you know, coming up this month. And one of the years we went to a place called the falls. I don't know if you're familiar with the falls. Uh, they had bent grass greens. They had these, you know, ridiculous holes. And it's like, you know, just, there's never a break. There's never a middle break. There's never like a, oh. what I love about the masters is you mentioned some great holes. You mentioned, you know, 15 and 13, those two par fives of the back nine. Eagle is a very doable number on those. I mean, you have a great drive out there and you're a great driver of the ball. You can easily eagle. it. You can easily get a snowman at the same time. And that's what, you know, makes, you know, the Masters, that's what makes it such a great tournament is that you, it's, you're not going to see somebody just go in and make 18 pars. That, that's usually not what happens at the Masters. What happens at the Masters is, you know, somebody gets hot, you know, goes out there, shoots a 64, 65. Or somebody who has a big lead goes out there and shoots 77, 78. And that's, you know, that's where the drama comes from. 
Uh, and that's just something I think you don't see in most U.S. Opens. I mean, you, you see it occasionally depending on the course that they pick. But, I mean, the Masters is just such a unique event there. And I think with the Masters, because the greens are so tough, it just gets into your head. You know, we've seen uh, – Greg Norman is the best example. He he had many a mental um, implosion, I think is the word out there, where he had the lead on Sunday and he just couldn't put it away. And, and he did it. And if it was anyone other than Greg Norman, it would be called heartbreaking fashion. But, it, you know, I'm happy that Greg Norman doesn't have a green jacket. But – I think that's what's interesting about Augusta too is the way you start rooting for your guy out there. Um, I think every golf tournament has a little bit of that element, but but at Augusta, I, I personally like. I remember some of those years where, like, Angel Cabrera won the Masters one year, and I was literally disappointed because I didn't want Angel Cabrera to win the Masters. I wanted, you know, I was going for somebody else, and um, it's just such a historic tournament that you want certain guys to have that opportunity to put the green jacket on. Uh, but at the same time, when you get somebody, you know, like Bubba, when Bubba won the green jacket, I couldn't have been happier. That was the guy that you're pulling for. And I just think, I think though you pull harder when it's Augusta week. I, I love all the majors. I love them all, but there's just something like when your guys in the hunt coming down 12, 13, 14, 15 with a chance to make a move. It's special. And when that guy's Tiger, it's really, really special. I like um, – one of the things I like about the Masters, I think, is, is every every major championship has its own flavor. But I think what's great about the Masters is you win that event, you're in for life. You, you, could, you could go back and you see guys. I mean, you used to see like Gene Sarazen and uh, you know, some of those old guys who are like 90 years old. And they have them teeing off the first, you know, first, and, and they're able to play. I mean, and I don't know how many holes that they would have those guys play, but I mean, you're 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 set for life. Uh, so to kind of push this forward, kind of looked up, you know, according to CBS Golf, here are the odds that they have moving in as we record here. Um, Scotty Scheffler is at five to one. Rory McIlroy is at fifteen to two. John Rahm's at nine to one. Jordan Spieth is fifteen to one, so that's quite a jump. Uh, Cameron Smith and Cullen Orakwa Kawa twenty to one. Max Homa twenty to one. Patrick Cantley twenty to one. Xander Scheffel Sheff- twenty two to one. And Justin Thomas twenty two to one. There's your top ten. So. If I give you, I'll give you a choice here. You could pick a guy out of that group, or you could pick the field. Where are you going? That's tough, but I'm going to take that group. I'm going to take that group because I think there's a few guys that I think that are have great weeks. I think Max Holmes is going to have a great week. Max Holmes has been playing fantastic golf. He's a new father, new outlook on life. Um, you know, he made his first Presidents Cup team this year. His golf game has changed completely in the last two years, and he's he's developed that killer instinct and that confidence within himself that it takes to go out and be successful at Augusta. And I think he's a better putter now than he's ever been. So I, I do think I think that's a big one right there. Scotty Scheffler's as hot as hot now as he was last year when he won the Masters. Um, I don't want to say it's Rory's time, 
But, you know, he played so well in all four majors last year. You can't ever count him out. I think it's going to come from that group. I really do. There's a couple names. There's a couple names outside that that I think could give you a run. But, you know, Xander Shoffley's playing great golf right now. Patrick Cantlay's got the type of game that just doesn't go away on a weekend. Uh, the one to look out for is Willie's at Willie Zalatoris. Um, he always shows up in majors, always shows up ready to play. He was like number two or three, top three in every single major last year. He was in a playoff in three of the four majors. Um, he's he's a guy that you got to look out for. He comes to play. If he can make pots, he's going to be really, really dangerous. Um, and then there's a, a couple of the live guys, Scott. I'm intrigued by. Um, you know, Kepka won this week in uh, in Live Orlando. If he's got his, if he's got a semblance of his game back, you know, a, a confident Brooks Kepka coming in. I don't think he can get it done, but I'd love to see it. I'd love to see Brooks Kepka compete. Uh, and Dustin Johnson's another one too. He's won out there before. Um, hits the ball extremely far. Is a great driver of the golf ball. The way that they've lengthened Augusta, you don't have to be as good of a draw a drawer of the ball. You can be a guy who hits a cut, and you can have success out there because they've taken a lot of those big dog legs out by lengthening the holes. And so I think Dustin can have a good week too. I'm just, you know, these live guys haven't played a 72-hole event in a long time. Um, how do they hold up on Sunday is going to be my question. What about you? Are you taking that top 10 or are you taking the field? Um, I'll stick with the top 10. Uh, because I, I really, gosh, Rory has come so, I mean, he's come so close. Uh, I mean, he lives in the top five in majors. Uh, the problem with the problem with Rory is he backdoor top fives on Sunday a lot, though. He doesn't. That's true. Yeah, that's true. Uh, the guy I'm looking at, and, and, and of course, you know, the question is, you know, how healthy is he? John Rub, to me, he could just bomb it. And so he's a guy, he's kind of a wild card that when you have a guy that can just bust out 350, you know, 370, I mean, there's some holes out there. You know, I mentioned 13 and 15, but, you know, there's holes all over that course where, I mean, two's a reachable par five if you're long off the tee. Uh, 10, I mean, 10's a damn near 500 yard par four. So some length of the tee matters there. And it's basically uphill the whole way. Eleven's uh, a big driver hole as a par four. It's a long par four. You've got to hit the driver well. I mean, there's definitely hit the driver well is a big advantage out there. And I'm trying to remember what the uh, which was it six or seven the hole that had the double eagle a couple of years ago. Uh, U- Usen, uh It would have been a hole in one on a par four. No, he had a, no. It was a par five. That would have been eight. A, two and yeah, eight on a okay, par five. Eight. Okay, eight. Yeah. They, and that's one of the things about the Masters is kind of unfortunate. It's only in recent years have they ever showed anything that happens on the front nine. Uh, most of the time, it's, almost, it's, it's been, a, you know, and, and especially go back in history, it's been exclusively for television viewers, a back nine event. Yeah, uh, unless you have ESPN Plus, which, thank God, that was when I first met my wife and she told me she was an ESPN Plus subscriber. That went in the positive category when you're like, hey, uh, you're a nice lady. Yeah, that's true. We yeah, unfortunately, we haven't we don't have the ESPN. Uh, I mean, I can I can we can do some of like the features and stuff. But and for uh, those who don't know, you you can download the Masters app, and uh, it's completely free and have all day coverage, and you can cast it to your TV too. So 
it's been a busy month with March Madness and then the Masters coming right up, but uh, there's no no better four days to lounge on the couch and do absolutely nothing than what's coming up here this weekend. Yeah, if I'm if I'm gonna throw my my if I'm gonna throw any money at this, which I usually don't gamble, I, I would go Rob just you know just yeah you because know, I think he has a chance and, and he's one of those that he's gonna do really really well or not. I don't think there's really in between with him. Uh, but, but I think know, his floor is a top twenty. Yeah, like, there's been. Yeah, there's been some weeks he's absolutely dominated. You're just watching him hit like a you know 400 yard drive, and you're like, I, you know, I mean, I remember that one of the first events he won, he drove a par four. I was like, I mean, that's a cheat code. I mean, I, I don't know what you do with that. Well, you know, one of the traditions, Scott, when you win the Masters, is you get to pick the menu for the champions dinner that takes place Tuesday night, which would be tonight, um, the week of the masters. And, you know, Scotty's dinner came out very, very classic. Like if you grew up in Texas, you know, he, he really kind of hit the nail on the head there. Tiger in the past, you know, we've seen his menus. He had hamburgers on there when he was the masters champ in 97 as a kid. And then when he wins it, you know, as a full fledged adult, he's got sushi, he's got expensive steak, he's got all sorts of stuff. And my question for you, Scott, is you've got an appetizer, a first course, a main entree, and a dessert. How are you putting your championship menu together? Well, I know the first thing I'm not doing is I'm not asking Fuzzy Zeller. Um, for for those who uh, may not have gotten that reference, you know, Fuzzy Zeller, when, when Tiger won his first one, Came out and said, you know, made this joke about, you know, you better not bring out collard greens, you know, and then he started, you know, doing his chuckle, and that was that was rough. <laughs> um, you know, I, I haven't had too many meals like that. Uh, we about once a year, uh, we'll go to the melting pot, uh, and that's a, and I don't know if you've ever been to the melting pot. It's a, a fondue, uh, and so you you get a salad course, you get a cheese course and you get a uh, you know, main course and a dessert course. Um, I've, I've said this many times I'm diabetic, so I got to be very careful about my desserts. Uh, so I might throw in a nice cream brulee cause I know that won't kill me. Uh, it might have a slight blood sugar spike, but you know, I can, I can survive that. Um, I I'm, I'm, I'm more of an old fashioned guy. I like a good steak. You know, so give me a good salad. You know, give me, you know, give me a good steak. Um, don't know about sides with steak, but um, I think that that's where I'm headed with mine. How about you? Where are you going with your? So I think I'm going to start everybody off with a nice bruschetta. Uh, Carabas had one when I was growing up. It was a tomato sauce with goat cheese and garlic bread. That was my absolute favorite. It was called Scotty Thompson. So I think that would be the first course. Uh, then we're going to do cheese pizza, just as a little palate cleanse. Everyone have a slice or two of cheese pizza. Then we're going to do a nice, your choice of wedge salad or Caesar salad. Then we're going to bring out the New York strip. We're going to do it with au gratin potatoes and broccoli. Uh, I think, you know, if you're not a beef eater, you know, redfish or salmon, one of those two for you, but I'm staying with the steak. And then we're going to do... Uh, a nice tiramisu 
to to bring it all home. I think is is how I'm putting together my my championship dinner. Uh, that is the uh, Tim the Irishman coming up with a very Italian. Uh, hey, my dad menu. ran an Italian restaurant for a uh, majority but, of my life. Hey, we both have steak on the menu. Absolutely, I mean, that's, that's the important thing. I mean, if you're not buying, you're ordering steak. I mean, free steak is the best kind of steak. Well, yeah, that's true. I, I, I between those salads, I, I'm, I'm a big fan of the wedge salad. I know I, I get a lot of disagreement here at home. Some people don't understand uh, my enjoyment for the wedge salad. Yeah, that's a solid menu. Um, I'm on board with that. I'd, I'd want to go to that meal, even if I had to pay for it. Yeah, I think I think I you know. Oddly enough, I've thought a lot about what my championship meal at Augusta would be. Um, even though the odds are I'll never serve it at Augusta. Uh, maybe if I win like some kind of local tournament, I'll just like cook a championship meal and that'll be what it is. Um, but yeah, I've, I've put way too much thought into what I would serve as the Augusta national champion. I think in, in, the, Masters, in the Masters where the public links champion gets a bid, the U- so if you win, I mean, if you win the USAM, you get a you get a bid to the Masters. Because I think there was a, a public, because I, I can't remember if this is the US Open or, or I think, but I'm sure it was the Masters where the you is designated the public links champion. Because I remember they had a uh, they had a cartoon, and I swear they had this guy, you know, you know, gruff and you know, loud and obnoxious, you know with these all buttoned up pros. And I was looking at the guy and I was like, I swear he was modeled after our golf coach. Um, you, you didn't have, uh, you didn't have coach Williams. So, um, no, I had coach Jessic. Then I had, um, coach Wood, my senior year. And then there's, uh, coach Tommy Tucker, uh, my junior year who took the job because he wanted to be on the senior tour. And being the high school golf coach meant he got unlimited range balls. Yeah, poor. Uh, I've got all kinds of great stories about you know because uh, Coach Williams used to drive for the basketball team, and you know, and remember our first tournament we ever went to. We we're going to a freshman tournament. Uh, I can't even remember what course it was, and so we're we're driving on I ten. I ten, you know, we got like you know, five lanes of highway. And so it's early in the morning. We're all sitting there sleeping. And all of a sudden we hear this, hug, hug, hug. We get up. He has gone over four lanes of highway within, you know, less than a mile. He goes, sorry, boys, had to pick up my sunglasses. It's like, damn it, you're going to kill us. <laughs> and he did that, you know. We, I remember going to Bay Forest for a tournament, and he almost drove off the bridge. You know, he's, he's kind of pulling off, and I'm, I'm like in the back of the bus, everybody lead left. I mean, it was just crazy. So when Coach Tucker got to town, um, he had come from Port Arthur, was where he was previously the coach. And they had, like, they were like a 3A team, and they'd won state a couple times. It was mostly because, like, he had two good golfers who came through his school that guided him to state. It wasn't like he was a great coach. But that school, when you ordered a bus, it came with a bus driver. Now, Clear Lake High School, when you are on the golf team and you order a bus, it does not come with a bus driver unless you specify that you need a bus driver. So I'm playing in the first varsity tournament of the year. His first tournament as our coach. We meet at the school at 6 a.m., we're leaving at 6.15. 
Six fifteen. Hey, coach, where's the bus? I don't yeah, know. I was, uh, was going to stop. I, I ordered it, <laughs> and he. I said you ordered it, but like, did you go pick it up? Because like, Coach Jessick was like a certified bus driver, and he would pick it up. He goes, I can't drive a bus. I said, Coach, I think we got a problem, and he. Uh, I, I still can't remember why, but this mom volunteered her suburban. You know, she had like her husband come pick us up, come pick her up from the school, and she gave the suburban to the team for Coach Jessick to drive us to this tournament. And I have never been more scared in my life than when this this guy was doing 95, going down I-10. We had to get to Kingwood by like 7.30, and it's like 6.15 on a, on a school morning. He's hauling. He's hauling ass. And, you know, it's never a good sign when you get to a golf course and the whole team's trying to run to catch the rise to the shuttle, to the tee. I didn't hit a putt. I didn't hit a ball. I was like, my first three holes aren't on me. But that's, you know, that's the Coach Tucker experience. Yeah, uh, this, yeah, the story, yeah, the story with Williams, my favorite one, and I wasn't there for it. So uh, what he used to do is, you know, the golf coach has a certain budget, right? And so what he used to do is he would spend his budget buying us lunch on the way home. Like you'd go to McDonald's, everybody had like five bucks, you know, five buck limit, right? And so, you know, we're talking, you know, he's, he's got 30, 40 bucks. I mean, you're, you're, you're at a tournament of five golfers. It was a, and one of the guys, the older guy said he came out and he just lifted out his pockets. He said, sorry, boys, I gambled it away. I mean, this guy, I mean, it was just, I mean, he was doing this kind of stuff all the time. Um, but yeah, we, 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 we digress, but yeah, so Tim, if you're playing a public golf course, you know, maybe you could, you know, do a public, you know, get into a public links and, you know, maybe you could qualify for, for Augusta. I got some stuff to tighten up, Scott, you know, but it could happen. We'll see. I, I do, you know, I have an update for the listeners. I was paired with the sandbagger last week. I, it was, you know, we were in the same group, my team versus his team, and I watched it unfold live in front of my eyes, Scott. And that's one of the things you, you can tell sandbaggers from a mile away because, I, you know, I can look at a golfer, right? And I've seen them because we, we, we have our, our golfing weekend later on in April, and there are guys who maybe have like a 25 handicap who all of a sudden shoot like 86, 87. And you can watch them and you can tell they're not that good. They just had one of those rounds out of nowhere. And it happens, you know, and so the way it happens, you just sit there and say, hey, you know, good job. You know, there you go. Here's your money. And then there are those people who say they're a 20 and they're going out and they're shooting 80, 81 and you're watching them and they're just hitting it 250, 260 down the middle. And there's like, there's no way you're a freaking 20. Come on. And that's and that's what we came across last week. I I let the listeners know that this guy was floating out there somewhere. Uh, I'm paired with them. I play okay. I, you know, I had two three putts. I didn't make any birdies. I bogeyed a par five. I end up shooting um, a net one under with the four strokes I got. Right, this guy. So I, I shot thirty nine. They give me four. I'm one under. This guy is getting seven strokes on nine holes. Okay, and I see Scott. He's got no less than five bag tags for previous league winner. He's won this league five times in a row. And 
I just, I can't imagine after playing in the league as long as you can, how he can still have as high, he's getting seven strokes on nine holes and he shot 38 and it's two over. So now this guy's five under and I was with him. It was a smooth 38. It wasn't like anything crazy happened. I'm, I'm pretty confident in my abilities to judge a golfer. I can typically tell, I don't even need to see swing the club for the most part to tell if you have game or not. I can typically tell from the way that you carry your bag from the car to the cart if you're going to be a good golfer or not. I'm, I've got a pretty good eye, and I knew this guy was going to be good the moment I saw him. And then I saw the handicap, and I knew it was bullshit. I knew it. I absolutely knew it. And then, Scott, he had the balls, the balls at the end of this round to walk up to me and say, hey, you've got some game. Some game? Some game? I drove two greens. I three-parted them both, but I drove, I drove them. My favorite, okay, and this is, and, and those people piss me off, but the ones who piss me off, and I, and you, I don't know if you've ever played with somebody like this. So we're, we're playing Galveston Country Club as a part of district. Um, and I don't even know if that place is still open, to tell you the truth. Uh, but I, it think, was, I think Moody bought it. Didn't Moody Gardens buy that one? Uh, Moody bought the Muni. And that's in good, and it's in really good shape now. But no, this was a country club, and and it was okay. Um, and so I'm playing with this guy from Creek. Now to 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 lay uh, to lay this all out, when I back in the Stone Ages when I was playing high school golf, whatever you scored, you got. There's no max. You just you keep playing until the ball goes all. So I'm with this guy from Creek, and we're off the first tee. It's like a 350 par four. You know nothing, right? He dribbles it about 10 feet in front of the tee box. Snap hooks his next one out of bounds. So he's got to play, you know, back from the tee box. He, you know, he, he duffs that one 30, 40 yards up the fairway. Does that about three or four more times. And then he gets, you know, chips over the green, chips back on the green, three putts. And it's like, and I'm keeping his score. He's like, what'd you have? And he said, a bogey. And I was like, no, you can go higher. And he was like, seven? No, keep going. Eight? It's like, this is like a colon blow commercial. I mean, it's like, damn it, man. You had like a 11 or 12 or something like that. And it, it was all day like that. And he shot like something like ridiculous, like a 134. And I swear... He, I mean, there are 10, 15 strokes somewhere out there that he didn't count. But, you know, but, you know, halfway through the day, you're just like, I don't give a shit anymore. You know, you're the reason why I'm shooting a 91, 92 instead of an 85 because I got to wait on your ass, you know, to, to actually, you know, show a little bit of ability. It was just it, those kill me. You know, when you're playing with people like that, it just, you know, have no idea. You know, either they they failed first grade math or they're cheaters and it just drives you nuts. it's cheating but also it's it's like they don't pay attention and i remember and i hate you know i hate to take this shot at you scott because you taught there at the time but when i played high school golf i hated getting paired with the g-ball players the g-ball galveston ball players you could go ahead and add three to four strokes to my score if like you looked at that if it was like 
Lake Brook G-Ball. You're like, son of a bitch. Like, damn it. Because these kids didn't practice year-round. They, like, grabbed the most athletic kids in school and handed them clubs right around the time of district because you got a bonus for having a golf team. And there was, like, one or two kids that were good, but everybody else was garbage. And it's like they only played in their own tournament. Every now and then they'd play in, like, the one at Bay Forest or something. But it, but getting paired with a G-Ball kid was – you knew they were going to cheat. And you guys, I just kept having to remind myself the whole day. I'm like, this is better than being in school. This is better than being in school. But then at some point, you're like, is it? Is it really better than being in school, watching this kid shoot freaking 115 today? Um, I don't know if Tim caught a candid of that. If he did, that was going to be a terrific uh, picture for the uh, for the Facebook page. But I, I didn't get that one. I was laughing hysterically while I was doing that because absolutely – and you're not hurting my feelings. I, I didn't teach at ball for very long, but I remember there was this kid at ball when we were in high school who decided that ball high was a really good golf team. And he was talking all kinds of smack about how, you know, we weren't going to be able to do well because we couldn't play in the wind. It's like, you know, whatever, dude. So I remember I'm playing in an HGA tournament with him. And we're playing out at Southwick. And I and for those of y'all that are not familiar with you know golf in Houston area, Southwick is is one of the few links courses and one of the original links courses. And this one, you know, in in wind, you want to tell you and, and there's like two holes out there that can tell you how much this swings, you know, both ways. The third hole out there from the from the tips is a four hundred and sixty yard par four into the wind. So, you know, you're hitting driver three wood eight iron to this par four. And then there's a hole in the back, number 12, the par five. Uh, it's like 490, 500. I hit driver nine iron <laughs> to this green. I'm not a very long hitter. You know, I was back in high school, but you know, I, I, I couldn't hit. You know, if I hit a 300-yard drive, it was like, Wow, that was great. That was the drive of the day. Technology was different then too, Scott, right? Like you didn't have the help we have now. That's true. Yeah, you're right. But this guy, this jackass, he's like seven or eight over after six holes. And I'm I'm like two or three over. And he just like, screw it, I quit. And just walks off the damn course. Which, you know, as as Tim knows, you know, somebody's playing, you know, HGA events, you know, some of those groups are like only you know, twosomes or threesomes. And so if you have some jackass quit, I mean, if you're in a twosome, I mean, you're going to have to call like a rules official, you know, to come, you know, finish the round with you that so somebody can, you know, help you keep score. It was, it was just, I mean, uh, ah. I never had the walk off. Did I, did I tell you the story about what happened at uh, South Shore Harbor one day? You might have, but you know, let's remind our listeners. I don't know if I've told this one before on the podcast or not, but one day, and Seltzer Harbor and I don't get along. Um, I played an HJ event where I can only describe it as having a mental breakdown. I shot 120 at Seltzer Harbor. I was a sophomore in high school. I threatened to throw my best friend in the water if he didn't shut the hell up. Like the whole, every bit of the gambit went downhill that day. And so I've always been a little tense come tournament time at South Shore Harbor and tried my hardest to not be in that tournament. I would do everything I could to qualify for something different so I didn't have to play South Shore. But sure as hell, 
Every year, I'm in the South Shore field. So here, here I am at South Shore. And if and I'm about to shoot, like, I think I shot like 85 or 86 that day, which normally not good in this scenario at South Shore was ecstatic because I just have demons there. We're coming down 17. And I've been chatting with this kid. I think he might have been a G-ball kid, but he was one of those kids from like a school that doesn't have a good golf team. He's probably going to shoot 120, 125. And, and they're going to take his score kind of scenario. Um, and for those of you who don't know, they take four of the best five. They take four or five, so the best four scores. They were going to take this 125. So we're walking down 17. And out of nowhere, this kid just goes, oh, God. Oh, no. Not now. Please, God, no. And he pees himself right in the middle of the fairway. And just he starts crying and panicking. And what am I going to do? My teammates are going to make fun of me. And I, you know, being the, the good Catholic guy that I was, I offered up my uh, my rain gear to him and I gave him my rain pants. And I said, here you go. You feel free to rock those. They'll never know what happened. And and then eventually he like tried to give them back to me at the end. I said, no, those are, those are yours now. You go ahead and enjoy those. But, you know, here I am 15 years later. I was like 17. To this day, Scott, I don't understand why he didn't just pee in the fairway. Like, to, like I have never – like, if I'm that close that I'm going to wet myself, I'm whipping it out in the fairway. Like, there's grass there. Like, that – I can explain that over easily more than I can explain the giant piss stain on my pants. Oh, that that is too funny. Um, actually, my Sasha was my best high school tournament, um, and, and it is this great example of you know, I was I was playing above my head. I mean, I'm, I'm hitting putts from off the green. It's just ridiculous. So I'm walking in. I've got four holes left, and I'm sitting in even par, which you know for me, at any rate, is just ridiculous. And then I, I proceed to go six over the next four holes shoot me a 78, which didn't place anything. And it's like, damn it, you know, but no, here, it, you know, you're, t- you're talking about, you know, throwing your, your friend into a lake. Uh, my dad always told me, uh, cause he, you know, he watched golf and his, uh, my grandfather's favorite golfer, uh, was Tommy Bolt. I don't know if you've heard of Tommy Bolt, but apparently he had absolutely the worst temper that, you know, anybody ever had. And so he actually had around Houston open, where he takes his bag with his clubs and everything, throws it into the lake, the whole damn thing into the lake. So here he is, he's throwing his clubs into the lake and he's done. And the next thing you do is you see him waddle out into the lake to go to his bag. And you're thinking, okay, yeah, he realizes he can't throw up. I mean, he he can't throw the entire bag. He's going to get the bag back, right? Opens up the pocket. Pulls out his car keys, throws the bag back in the lake, walks out. I mean, it's just, I mean, it was, I mean, to, to be able to see that moment, because it probably wasn't on television, but, you know, to see something like that, you know, would have been awesome. I got to see my dad do the live version of that on the same hole the kid pissed himself uh, with his eight iron. I will never forget the helicopter coming above my head and into the water, me like, Dad, no, that's a Titleist. But, uh, yeah, it was – my dad and I were club throwers. We're better now. Um, I've, I've bought every club in his bag for him, so he better not be throwing any of them. But, uh, yeah, there's 
I think high school golf had some of the funnest stories. And I, and I really hope that either my daughter Sawyer or my future daughter um, plays because it's just like looking back on it, man, it was so fun. There's, I met so many like cool kids, but it's just so many fun stories about just shenanigans, like on the golf course. And um, it really has uh, given me an appreciation for the game now. And, and quite frankly, it's, there's a lot of people who try to get into golf since I've become an adult that, you know, it's nice to go out and, and kick your friend's butts on the golf course. Cause they're 10 years behind where you are. Yeah. As fun as golf talk is, uh, we got to go to some less happy, uh, conversations here. And, you know, since the show, uh, came on last week, you know, when we had Robert Ford, the Astros are now six games into their season. And after tonight's game, because we were recording this a little bit early, they are sitting at two and four. So, do you have any early thoughts here on this? Uh, I'm, I'm, this I don't want to hit the panic button too soon, but I am a little bit concerned. You know, the the lack of offensive production we've seen so far, Scott, is is concerning. I think a lot of it is guys are hitting out of position in the order you're asking guys to do some things they're not used to not used to doing uh, I don't love Pena leading off but at the end of the day you've got to you've got to play the hand you're dealt right and the bullpen hasn't been good enough um, the the starting pitching hasn't been great it's been okay from you know Fromber I think was probably the best one through I, I a little disappointed in Hunter Brown the other night. You know, three runs and four innings, not terrible. But again, this was the most dominant pitching staff in baseball last year. And first time through the rotation, and, you know, now one extra start for Fromber doesn't look great. So let me walk through tonight's lineup because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start on a rant, right? So everybody, war- fair warning, my voice you know, the volume levels to make just these, you know, before I get going too far. So here's your lineup tonight. Jeremy Pena, who you mentioned, leading off. I don't love that either. Uh, he does have, I think, two walks this season. So, you know, if he keeps, you know, that that's about a 50, 55 walk pace, which, you know, if he produces that many walks on a season, I'm ecstatic. I, I think Pena. Pena's been fine so far, but again, he's hitting out of position in the order, right? Like, he, I just don't think he's... He's, he's hitting 160. Yeah, uh, yeah. Okay, okay, your second hitter is Alex Bregman. He's got four hits in the last two games, and he's hitting 167, but it's the early going. It's again, early and going. Bregman, too, notoriously slow start. Yeah, it, it, and so, but I like Bregman in that spot. It's a nice spot for him. Alvarez who is hitting 333 and he's got two home runs and he's probably got half the team's RBIs uh, in the three hole. Jose Abreu has looked really good so far, uh, hitting cleanup. So I'm really liking this lineup so far, right? Kyle Tucker, he had a good day today. He's hitting 300. He's got his second home run. So first five through the order, you're like, yeah, yeah, this looks good. Then you got Mr. Jolks at DH. DH. I don't know, Tim. I, I always thought your designated hero was actually supposed to be a hitter. But okay. Yeah. 
Uh, then you got Jake Myers in center field. And then you got Mauricio Dubon at second base. And then, of course, Martin Maldonado, who is hitting a robust 200 so far this year. Uh, you know, I guess you know if he ends up hitting 200, I think you know we have to be pretty happy. Yeah. Uh, but here's my thing, right? Now, Jolks, you know, actually he had two hits tonight, so he's hitting, you know, he's hitting 250 on the season. That's not bad. But there is no way. Unless you're driving your bus to the game and the bus has a wreck and half your roster's on the freaking DL, there is no reason why Jake Myers and Mauricio Devon should be in the game at the same time. Never. If you want to throw them in every once in a while to, you know, give a guy a breather. But David Hensley's a young guy. We're six games into the season. Why does he need a breather? Chaz McCormick. Okay, he has one over, but he has three stolen bases on the year. He's getting on base. He's a, he's a threat on the base pass. He's a he's a good center fielder defensively. I, you know, I don't know if Myers has pictures of Dusty Baker in a compromising situation or something. I, it, but what in the hell? Yeah, uh, Durden had a great camp. We're going to send him down, and we're going to have Jake Myers, who not only is a horrible hitter. Although he's hitting 200, he had two hits tonight, so you know it lifted his average up 200. Good way to go, bud. He he horribly misplayed a, a ball in the White Sox series, which you know could have you know resulted in a loss. I just I I don't get it. And and so really, you know, I was hoping that Dusty Baker would retire after this last season. I was really hoping that. I was hoping that Joe Espada would go ahead and be the manager. Because I think he knows these guys, um, but the thing is, is like you know, because when Dusty Baker was first hired, my first thought was, why does my arm hurt all of a sudden? I mean, that was my. That, for for those of y'all who don't know, he he basically ruined the careers of Kerry Wood, Mark Pryor, uh, when he was with Chicago. But with Altuve and Brantley out, you got to put your best lineup on the field as many times as you possibly can. And, you know, if you're Tucker, if you're a team, why are you throwing pitches to Tucker with that lineup behind him? I mean, I I would just, you know, four, go first base, we'll take our chances. I I don't, you know, he he gets another dinger tonight. You know, why are teams pitching to him at this point? I think as the season goes on, hopefully – you know, when, when some of these guys are pushed down the lineup, right, when, when Pena is hitting seventh, a lot of these problems go away. Uh, it's just, you know, the the Astros not having a GM for the majority of this offseason, I think, is, is, is really showing right now because they didn't do much, right? Their big move was Jose Breu. And, yeah, he's, he's off to a nice start. He had a big uh, double to tie the game in the ninth inning last night. But you needed a legitimate – replacement for for Aldemus Diaz. You needed somebody with some pop who you can put in there and the drop-off isn't as significant as it is from Altuve to Debon. Because last year there was, you know, a draw a little bit of a there was a drop-off from Altuve to Diaz, but it wasn't as bad. But then there was a drop-off from Diaz to Dubon because Diaz was out for a period of time last year and that's when they had to go get Mauricio Dubon. 
you needed to make a move to go get a utility player. And you still can. You know, there's I have to think Abraham Toro, who's sitting in AAA for uh, the Brewers right now, would be an upgrade at second base over Mauricio Dubon. But the fact is they like that Dubon can play center field. Okay, well, if you like Dubon in center field, why is Jake Myers on the roster? You don't need three center fielders. You need two. If you like Dubon having all this positional versatility, that's fantastic. He's your backup at all those positions. Then you should have left Jake Myers in AAA, and you're right, Kerry Dearden, because he had a fantastic spring, and that guy rips the cover off the baseball. I just the, – the inability to go get yourself a legitimate – Utility player, or like in my uh, just a legitimate bench bat. We don't have one, and it, it's it's so far. You know we're weak in the season. I get it. I don't want to overreact, but we're missing that bench bat. You know, the, for the fa- past few years, it's been Aldi. He could fill in in a few positions. He was a great fastball hitter, and he had some pop. Well, there's just some some holes right now in that Astros lineup. And you're right. Once you get past Kyle Tucker, it's it's a cakewalk. And so, you know, eventually, you know, hopefully Altuve comes back, Brantley comes back, that lineup looks a lot better. But, you know, some of the concerns that we had about the bullpen, Scott, where a lot of guys had career years last year. Um, you know, Montero's not been great to start the season. Um, we saw Presley, you know, blow a save on opening day, and then we haven't seen him since. And, you know, there's there's some uh, – or did he pitch today? Yeah, it was okay. yesterday. He pitched yesterday. But, I mean, it, there were several save situations where they went to Naris, they went to other people. Um, you know, there's just some – there's been some concerns early on in the season. And, and I think everybody can gripe about the way Dusty puts his lineups together because legitimate complaint there. But at the end of the day – the performance of some of these players to start the season is, is concerning offensive numbers aside. The Astros are notorious for having some slow stars on offense, but the bullpen where a lot of guys had career years last year, you know, a is one of those guys who, when he's on his stuff is unhittable. His break, like I couldn't even speak watching him pitch the other night. Uh, I think it was maybe a Friday night. It was just like, I was just making giddy noises like a schoolgirl, like, Ooh, when he threw sliders. Cause it was just sick. But when he's not on and he's not, he's 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 very hittable. And so, um, again, early in the season, you don't want to panic too soon. But you're not going to have 20 games to beat up on the Angels and the A's this year. You know, you're you're playing a lot more of the league more often. That I think is going to be the biggest factor, right there. What you just mentioned there at the end. Uh, there's a balanced schedule. You're not going to get to you know, pick on the Athletics you know, for 20 games. Um, and so, you know, I, I came into the year, my, my benchmark for success was actually at about 90 wins because I, I, I can see, you know, just even if everything was equal to last year, just the, the difficulty of the schedule is going to get you. Um, the one thing about the bullpen and looking at it, um, there's like the, the extra inning game where Baker sends out Hector Neris for a second inning. I, those those are Dusty Baker runs. Those those should not be charged to Hector Neris. Uh, he should not be pitching a second inning in that in that instance. Uh, but really, if you look at it, uh, Montero had that you know gave up that dinger, you know, in the opening game that you know loses the game. Presley had that you know he pitched a scoreless inning his second outing. So Montero I think's had a couple of scoreless outings after that. 
Uh, Abreu's had only one really bad outing. Neris has only had one bad outing, and, and part and a lot of that's on Dusty. Uh, and so, really, you're looking at a bullpen where all of them have had one bad outing. And when you're six games into the season, if you if you space those outings out enough, it's enough to give you a losing record. Now, the one stat that I think we're going to need to watch, and, and uh, Framber does go seven tonight. So he gives up uh, two earned runs, three runs. So, you know, if you could get that effort out of Framber, I think on most nights where you said two earned runs in seven innings, you'd be like, yeah, yeah I'll sign me up for that. Um, but coming into this game, our bullpen had blocked the third most innings through the first six games, the first five games of the season. Last year, we had the least amount of bullpen innings. That starting staff was just, you know, so consistent. Uh, Frommers, you know, and, and Verlander are, are going out there and going seven innings, you know, almost on a, on a routine basis. You don't have that right now. Now, the good news is I heard, you know, Lance McCullers spoke tonight. Uh, he is pitching back-to-back days. Well, not pitching. He's throwing from 90 feet, flat ground. The next step, he said, is going to be, you know, to get up on a mount, throw some off-speed stuff. And then, you know, he'll start to, to get things, you know, get things cooking. Maybe we'll get some rehab starts. He says he's ahead of schedule. I don't know what the schedule was because the Astros don't really share that information uh, with us. But if you get him back, let's say mid-May, you know, that I think that's a fairly conservative. You know, if you can limp your way through there. I think, you know, I'm going to give you a couple of names of guys that I was really kind of looking at uh, this offseason, you know, for that utility role you mentioned. Because the thing is with Diaz, now he was terrible in the postseason. I mean, he could not, he couldn't hit water if he, you know, fell on the boat. But the key thing with Diaz is that there were certain points in the year where he took over. I mean, he was your best hitter, you know, for about a two or three week span. Uh, one guy that I liked, and I was kind of hoping they could, you know, swing a deal, uh, Whit Merrifield uh, with Toronto. Whit Merrifield. Now, what do I know? What's good about Whit Merrifield? Well, he gives you that infield outfield combination because he's played, you know, both center field, right field, and second base. And boy, would it be great to have him right now, you know, with Otuve out. Uh, not a great hitter, uh, but he's a guy that he'll hit you 260, 270, probably steal you 20, 25 bags if he's playing a full season, hit about 10 home runs. You can't, you can't stack your entire roster with all stars. It's just not possible. So you're going to have to have some players who are solid but not great. The other guy I like uh, for Miami, Joey Wendell, is a guy that played you know second base and shortstop and, and third base. Um, and he's a he's a similar kind of guy. Uh, hits you 250, 260, makes contact, consistent fielder. He's a guy, you know, you could potentially trade for him down the line. Miami's going to probably be sellers at the deadline because they're always sellers at the deadline. So, I mean, you could get somebody like that. Uh, I, you know, with with Baker right now, uh, Dana Brown is probably playing nice with him, and I, 
I understand it. But I'd almost do a Billy Bean where it's like, you want to play Dubon? You can't anymore because I DFA'd him. Try somebody else. I mean, that was one of my favorite parts of Moneyball. I'm going to put this guy first. No, he can't, he can't play first base tonight. Why? Because he's not on the team anymore. Oh, shit. Well, <laughs> okay. That's what I would love to see Brown do. I'm with you. I just, again, we don't have, we don't have enough in the cupboard, right, to be able to cover that. And it's frustrating because we had the opportunity to, to go out and, and get that guy. It's just, um, we didn't, you know, we didn't have a GM. We had Jeff Bagwell running the show and say what you want about Jeff. He's not a general manager. So at the end of the day, you don't have, a roster, I think, that was built as good as it possibly could be built. It's, it's fine. It's a fine roster. You know, we're. I think everybody still predicted the Astros to make the playoffs, and I'm not saying we're not going to make the playoffs. I'm just saying, based on this first week, how we're looking at how the roster's put together, there's a wasted roster space in Jake Myers and a wasted roster space in Mauricio Dubon. If if you're really that sold on Dubon being the multi-position guy. Why is Jake Myers still on the roster? Chaz McCormick won UA World Series last year, both with some of his swings of the bat in that Yankees series and the play he made to save Ryan Presley in Game 5 of the uh, World Series. Uh, his catch against the wall saved that game. So what more does that guy have to do besides play his ass off for an entire postseason, and yet somehow he's still battling for spot starts? It's... If I, I'm I'm more okay with keeping Dubon and DFAing Jake Myers at this point, because at least Dubon at his you know is has some value as a guy who doesn't start and he plays multiple positions in case somebody gets hurt. There's a little value in that if they would stop starting his ass. But Jake Myers can only play center field. He's not coming in to play second base. So there's no value in Jake Myers if you have Chaz McCormick. Pick one, and it's chess. It's chess. Yeah, I, I don't understand it either. I, you know, and, and this has been—he's been bad mouthing uh, Chaz McCormick. Dusty Baker has been, you know, since his rookie year. And, and I, I, I don't now. Granted, his minor league numbers are not great. When you look at him, when he first came up, and it was like, who's this McCormick guy? But every time he you know, goes in there, he's getting a walk. He's getting a knock. He's doing something. He's making a good catch. He's doing something every single game. And I uh, I don't, you know, the, my favorite story, my favorite story, I don't know if you heard this one. Um, so everybody knows like the famous Buddy Ryan quote about Chris Carter that all he does is catch touchdowns. I mean, everybody's heard that one. Uh, the manager before, Larry Durker, do you happen to remember who that was? I'll see if you know your asterisk. Was it Art Howe? It was not. It was Terry Collins. Okay, okay. So Terry Collins. This is back in the good old days of Brian L. Hunter. Uh, Brian L. Hunter was you know one of the fastest people ever. Brian L. Hunter couldn't steal first base. He just couldn't. I, I don't. I don't know how one steals first base, but he couldn't do it. We had this little Italian guy, John Cangelosi. And I'm going to look up his numbers because I, I I'm going to I want to make sure I quote his numbers absolutely correct. But he was with the team for two years, 
And Terry Collins actually quoted, this was the quote that he had. All he does is get on base. And that's the reason why he didn't play. So in his two seasons with Houston, in 1995, he has an absolutely crappy 457 on base percentage. Absolutely. I mean, how do you, in, in two, about a little over 250 plate appearances. I mean, how do you, how's that guy get on the team with a 450 on base percentage? I mean, that's absolutely terrible. The next year, oh, it was a struggle. It was a slog. 378 on base percentage in 1996. So what does Terry Collins do? I'm going to look up Brian L. L Hunter. Ah, let's see. Oh, nope. I'm at the, here we go. No. Sorry, folks. Not a good typer here. Um, let me see. There he is. 91 to 2000. He, nope, I got the wrong guy. Okay, never mind. Three is like a 310 on base percentage. So all he does is get on base. So Chaz McCormick, all he does is do something positive for your team every time he goes out there. Every time he goes out there. He's drawing a walk. He's getting hit by a pitch. He's getting a hit. He's, he's making a good catch. He's doing something every time. Put that guy in center field. Leave him there. And let's, you know, let's do something else. Uh, and that's what, you know, that's what drives me nuts is that we have options in the outfield. We have dirty. Um, unfortunately, um, you know, we, we have one of our best, uh, Pedro Leon is one of our best prospects. He had a hernia. So really he was out for spring training. But he's a guy that at the very least could be like a Jose Siri. Where you know this guy is like the, you know, he's got athletic skills out the wazoo, raw power, raw speed, lots of swing and miss in that game. But if you do something positive for my team, I'm there. Jake Myers, what does Jake Myers do? You're right. You're right. It's been everything's under the microscope when the season's off to a poor start. But I'm with you, Scott. I am uh, absolutely with you. But you know, on a positive note, the Banner reveal went smoothly. The Astros seem to have uh, learned their lesson and and had a lot smoother reveal of the championship banner there this year. Yeah, so Brian L. Hunter, I finally looked it up. Sorry, folks. Uh, so in 1995, he has a 346 on base average. That's not bad. 100 points less than Cangelosi, but okay. 1996, 297. He's fast. Oh, bro, he's fast. Uh, that's like Gerald Young back in the 80s. You know, he's fast. Can't, you know, can't steal first base. That's okay. Uh, one of the, uh, throw a proposal out at you. And, and, and somebody suggested this on the radio, just as a general thing for baseball. And I was thinking particularly in seasons where we do have the World Baseball Classic. Somebody made the proposal that we ought to do uh, what we did during the pandemic year where the first month of the season, rosters were like at 28 or 29. And then because pitchers are so often on pitch limits, particularly in the, uh, particularly in a world baseball classic year where you're not able to, you know, be, you know, your big time stars are not able to be with your team, you know, for the whole season, the whole uh, the spring season, you know, 
Frober, first outing out there, he pitches five shutout innings. He has to come out because he's on a pitch limit. So, you know, what do you think of the idea of saying, okay, we're going to let teams carry maybe two extra pitchers? I'm in favor of the season. I'm in favor of it. In the American Association, when I when I worked for the Air Hogs, um, we we had a 25 man roster, but it was 27 for like the first 20 days, and then it went down after that. Um, so I I am a fan of it. Um, so any any big moments in, in baseball from the first week that stick out for you? Maybe Don Astros. Well, Scott, it's I mean it's been a. It's been a crazy week. You know, there's been a lot of good stuff that happened. I, I, you know, I was surprised the Rangers have started uh, as well as they have, especially DeGrom didn't get a great first start. Um, You know, I did notice Justin Verlander um, hitting the DL. You know, it's, it's been, I haven't watched a ton of on Astros base, not Astros baseball, but I have seen, you know, some of the, some of the standings, some of the the surprise three and O teams, the the teams that got off to surprising good starts. So yeah, just to give you all the payback here on the MLB standings, and just kind of show you that you know we we don't panic. Astros fans don't panic. So everybody knows in the AL West there is really only one team we're worried about. That's the Seattle Mariners, who, as I'm looking at Baseball Reference. As we sit right now, one and four. Obviously, they're playing right now, so we'll have to see how that game turns out. But they are behind the Astros in the standings, so you know, let's not worry too bit. Your World Series, your pennant-winning Phillies, are sitting at zero and four. That's yeah, that one's that one's been surprising. Uh, but you know, Scott, if you look at over the last like ten years. A majority of the time, the team that loses the World Series has trouble getting back to the playoffs. The Astros have actually been the the outlier to that rule. This is what killed me uh, going into the World Series, and this was what my thought was. And see if you you know you follow me here. So the Astros make it to the 2019 World Series. Their opponent is a team from the NL East that does not win the division. They have the wild card. And they were left for dead before the All-Star break. Washington Nationals, they make a mad dash. Play the Astros' tough seven-game series. We all know once uh, Soto is only 21 years old because um, Joe Buck told us that about 30 times. So, rewind. We go back to, we go back forward, 2021. We go to the Atlanta Braves, did not win. Yale, the National League East. Uh, I don't know if they were left for dead early in the season, but they certainly came on late in the season after the uh, the trading deadline. They beat the Astros in the series. So the Astros, 2022, were playing the Phillies, who were left for dead in the early part of the season, fired their manager, did not win the division, was a wild card, and made it into the World Series. And I was I was convinced that you know history was going to repeat itself again, and we were going to somehow lose to the Phillies. Thank God we didn't do that. But yeah, the, the National League East is a weird division because you you have teams start off slow every year, and with the exception of the Marlins, anybody in that division could win it. Phillies could still win it. Uh, the Mets could win it. You know they're spending more money than you know than God, and, and the Braves I think. 
they're in first place right now. I think the Braves still have the best team in that division, even after all the money that the Mets spent. Because, you know, they're a young team and, you know, homegrown talent. Lots of great arms we talked about. We talked about all those guys, those position players signed to long-term deals. Uh, they even got uh, Orlando Arcea. They signed to a three-year, $7 million deal. So you're our temporary shortstop here. We'll give you a long-term deal. Here you go. I mean, it's just, uh, but yeah, with the Mariners behind the Astros right now, no time to panic. We're fine. And the Rangers, they're, yeah, they're, they're, they won, you know, they swept the Phillies in the first. So you wake me up in mid-May, see where the, where the Rangers are. I'm a little surprised though at the scheduling with the Phillies opening in Texas, why they didn't hit Houston next. You know, it seems like a waste of a trip to Texas if you don't hit both teams while you're here. Maybe that's my my minor league scheduling background where when teams came to Texas, they hit both of our Texas teams at the same time. But it just seems to me kind of weird, Scott, that they, they brought the Phillies down here to play the Rangers and the Astros were home for the next series and, and they didn't hit the Astros as well, especially opening weekend, former World Series, you know, World Series matchup. Seemed like a missed opportunity to me. One of the greatest stories in baseball, and I'm sure you're familiar with this, but I'm going to share this with our uh, Are you talking about audience. the schedulers? Yeah, this little old couple mm-hmm. would schedule baseball every year. And I can't remember the exact year where they stopped doing that. Uh, but, yeah, you're right. I mean, you sit there and have teams. It always it drive me nuts in the NBA as well, you know, because they're playing tons of games where you have – Okay, we're going to go from the West Coast. We're going to go back to East Coast. Then we're going to go to the South. It's like, come on, you know, can we, you know, plan this a little bit better? Uh, yeah, it's you know disappointing. I mean, we're going to look back on this series with Detroit because right now, you know, we're we're the best we can do is one out of three, and we're probably you know it's one of those series you're going to look back like I can't remember 2021 where we got swept by the Orioles. Who were terrible, and you're just like, and we're winning 100 plus games. We're like, what are we doing? You know, losing, you know, losing three times the Orioles. It, things happen like that in baseball. It's 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 a long season. We got to trust the fact that we have more good players than most teams. Cream's going to rise to the top. I've heard Brantley is coming along. You know, maybe he gets back in early May. You know, maybe late April. Uh, you stick him in the lineup. Maybe you don't see Jake Myers as much. You know, maybe, you know, you move everybody down. You know, you get Altuve back maybe in mid-June. And then, you know, you stick him in the leadoff spot. Now, all of a sudden, you know, Tim mentioned a seven-deep lineup instead of a five-deep lineup. And, you know, even in your, your worst two hitters in that lineup, if you're playing your best guys, are Jeremy Pena, your World Series MVP, and Martin Maldonado, or you know, I'd say Chaz and Maldonado are your worst two in that in that scenario. Uh, maybe. Um, I like Chaz as an on base guy. Um, if if Pena continues to walk like he has the first couple of uh, couple of weeks, first couple of games, I'll be on board with Pena. Uh, but definitely, and then if Yanier Diaz starts to hit. No, you know, every once in a while, you could have a pretty solid nine-deep lineup. Yiner, Yiner's a little concerning to me, Scott, because it seems he's having trouble with the with the big league heater. Um, if, if you've looked at his at-bats, I feel like he's just been outrageously tardy on on major league fastballs, and there's there's no way to, 
to teach that other than you've got to just be quicker, right? Like they, they had the drill. The Astros used to do a drill when Correa and Beltran and everybody was there in 2017 about turning the pitching machine up as fast as it was going and moving it closer uh, so they can get ready for high velo. But at the end of the day, someone's got someone's to work with Yiner and just get him just a little bit quicker on the fastball because they're early on, at least, I feel like he's been exposed with high heat. Our, back in the days when I went to TCU, uh, they built a new stadium a few years ago. And they're, they're a national powerhouse now. But way back in the day when I was in school there, they were terrible. I mean, you, you would have like 50 people in the game. So I remember this one time they were playing this team, and this guy strikes out on three straight fastballs, you know, for the other team. And this guy just yells out, scouting report says can't catch up with fastball. And we're just like, it was awesome. Because, uh, you know, things were quiet. You could, you know, you could hear that. But. Yeah, um, I think Diaz will find his level eventually. The key is, is can he get consistent time? And that's where, you know, they're keeping three catchers uh, with Salazar as, as the, you know, the third catcher. That's a curious decision to me, especially with how thin bitches are these days because, you know, most teams are carrying eight relievers. You're carrying five starters. You have a 26-man roster. You have nine starting hitters, so you have four on your bench right now, two of those are catchers. So I, I you know, I don't know. Um, but yeah, I, I would, uh, I hopefully they're working with him. I think, you know, he, he's shown enough in the minors to where, you know, I can't think that he's just going to be completely, you know, inept based on what he's done at the minor league level. I mean, he's been a consistent hitter all the way up the chain. Well, Scott, I, I hopefully, hopefully we get it turned around. I, I feel like we will. I think it's, you know, I look back to to 2018 um, when the Astros unveiled their banner for the 2017 win, and, and they hosted the Padres early in the season. And I thought, remember correctly, they were a, a fluky pop up from Bregman away from being swept in that series. And so, uh, no, they won two of four, but he, I mean, he, they almost won one of three. But uh, you're right, you know. Starting start the season, getting the rings, getting the banner. I think that makes it a little tougher to focus in. Um, and then maybe just not taking this Detroit team as seriously as possible for, for the second series. But there's there's time. Plenty of baseball to be played. As you said, cream rises to the top. There's a lot of talent on this team. Uh, we know what these guys are capable of. We know Bregman's a notoriously s- slow starter. Um, and, you know, one of these young rookies that they've got up at some point is going to have to to step up and say, I'm going to take the, I'm going to take the DH role. You know, that's kind of, I think what, what Dusty's looking for. And, and I heard an interview with, with Dusty and, and Robert Ford on one of the pregame shows where, where Dusty basically says, you know, during spring training, these guys get at bats every single day uh, because the way we rotate guys out. So I'm, I'm trying to make sure that guys don't get cold early on in the season. So I'm trying to rotate the at bats, but at some point, Someone's going to take over, you know, whether it's Jolks, whether it's Yiner in that DH spot. Um, you know, I saw Hensley got the, the DH spot today with, with Dubon playing second. But at some point, someone's going to stake their claim and say, either I'm the everyday left fielder and Jordan's the DH, or I'm the everyday DH if it's Yiner and, and Jordan's the left fielder, at least till Brantley gets back. Because that's that's the situation we're in. It's gonna, someone's, gonna, someone's play 
is going to have to dictate them taking over. And, and that's hopefully what we'll see here in the next two or three weeks. All right. So we're going to get, I think, to that very special part of our day, the part of our week. Uh, we always, you know, we have the, the political scumbags, but, you know, we also have some sports scumbags out there. So I'm going to let uh, Tim tee it up here first. Uh, who, who is in your crosshairs this week? I think it's only fitting since it's Masters week that we have a golf person uh, as our sports scumbag. And, and this week, my sports scumbag is Greg Norman. On April 1st, a golf content creator posted just like a fake tweet that she would be leaving to go work for Live Golf. And then, haha, April Fools, I would never. And Greg Norman got so unbelievably bent out of shape. He put this long tweet about how dare you disparage the hardworking men and women of the of the tour. We're out here doing our best. And then he comes in with, you actually applied to work for us, and we denied you, and now you're doing this. And she's like, number one, that's not true. Number two, if it is true, please, please feel free to post my application here. If, if I applied... Post it for everyone to see. And Scott, do you know who went silent when, when that request got put out there? The shark didn't have the application to post. So, you know, Greg Norman is a scumbag every day of the week, but he is my scumbag this week. And I don't know if you uh, you saw this, but uh, Nick Faldo put Greg Norman on blast this week. Uh, I, I didn't. I didn't know. No, and so supposedly, uh, for those of y'all that are Nick Faldo fans, uh, he took a year off from CBS. He's coming hey back. Hey, guys, UH Cougar Nick Faldo. I just yeah, want to get is. that out there. UH Cougar. He, he is coming back to CBS this year. So he's going to rejoin you know the broadcast team. And and he's a guy. Uh, you know, I didn't really like him much as a player because um, he was a little bit mechanical, you know, for my taste. Um, I like the guys who are a little bit more, you know, maybe flamboyant or, you know. you like a swashbuckler. Yeah. So, you know, those kinds of, you know, it just like Sebi Ballesteros was my favorite guy. When he came out to the uh, Houston Open a couple of years in a row, man, he was a fun guy to watch. I mean, he's either you know, making birdies or hitting it OP, you know, <laughs> not much in between, you know, with him. But, yeah, Faldo put Norman on blast. You seem like a kind yeah. of guy who liked Payne Stewart a lot. I did, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Hayster was a good guy. He was a uh, good guy. I'm just saying, he seems like he seems like he would have been up your alley. Yeah, you know, um, I'm not much into the knickers. I don't wear them myself. Okay, but, but you know, hey, kudos to anybody who can, you know, who can, you know, work, you know, pull that off. Just like you know, kudos to uh, your former guy that could pull off the pee stain on his pants. You know, hey, you know, if you can if you can make that work, you know, you go for it. But yeah, Faldo put Norman on blast this week. Uh, and basically just saying, like, you know, he says he's growing the game. He's not growing the game. It, you know, he's he, it's a money grab. And, you know, we talked about the fact that, you know, uh, purses are growing in the PGA Tour. And that's true. But I don't know how much I don't know how much you know, they're really growing golf because I don't really have never watched a live event. And don't know that I ever will watch a live event. And, I, and and so far, you know, it looks like that you know they're struggling pretty mightily. So, 
I've checked it out a little bit. It, it's honestly, Scott, it's jarring to watch a golf tournament where the pros are wearing shorts. And it, it shouldn't be because honestly, like I, I thought I was in favor of the shorts thing at first, but it's just, it's weird, man. Like, I don't know what it is. It's, it's my mind conditioned, obviously, but it's just, it's really freaking weird to see a pro tournament and guys are wearing shorts. Yeah, I can see that. Um, you know, the women wear shorts, so it's, it's kind of weird, you know, how I, that I, in its theory, I think we should be allowed to wear shorts on the PGA. Like I have, I have no issue with it, but then at the same time, when I'm watching live, I'm like, these guys are in shorts. It looks weird. Like it's a, it's a really, I know I'm being hypocritical. I know all of it. It's just, it's weird. It looks weird to see Sebastian Munoz hole out with a chip and he's doing it in shorts. And I'm like, Oh, this is a tournament. This isn't a practice round. This isn't like, it's just, your mind doesn't think tournament golf when you see guys wearing shorts yeah i could definitely see that though um and you know these guys you know and and most of these guys are nice guys i don't know if you ever um when i was in the hga they gave us the opportunity to caddy uh during the pro-am um we didn't have that no we um we just got in for free to the shell with our bag tag. Was all, you know maybe they did. I don't know. I I know I didn't do it. Oh, uh, I did it one year. Uh, I think that the pro in our group was Scott Hallberg. Uh, I was uh, I was caddying for just one of the regular Joes. You know, so you know, thank God I'm not logging that you know 500 pound bag like you know the, the tour pros have. You know, I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how those, you know, those caddies certainly earn their money doing that. You know? You're like the girl in Caddyshack who's like, no, I can get it. Oh, yeah. It has the stereo in the bag. I mean, it's just awesome. Yeah. But it, it was fun. I mean, and the guy tipped me 20 bucks, which back in the late 80s, early 90s, 20 bucks is 20 bucks. I mean, that's, you know, that's a meal uh, at a good restaurant back in those days. <laughs> So, you know, did he, did he give you a chance to a young college boy like yourself come mow his lawn? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Give me a quarter. You know, here, here's a, you know, yeah, but that was, that was a fun, you know, and those guys are, you know, and Scott Hallberg's a, a really nice guy. I don't think he, he ended up doing poorly at the tournament that weekend, but you know, a lot of those guys are nice guys. And I think it's unfortunate we have somebody like Norman who, you know, is, is kind of an ass has always been kind of an ass. Uh, and you know that that to me that doesn't grow the game. Being an ass doesn't grow your game. Um, I you know I, I guess occasionally you know you hear stories about like guys like Larry Bird. You hear stories you know about what you know trash talking and things like that. But you know what what's fun about golf is that you know you can give your friends a hard time, but you know you're still friends at the end of the day. Uh, that's what's you know fun about the game of golf, and and to me, I don't think live really makes it that much more fun. No, it it doesn't make it fun. And and if you I don't know if you've watched Full Swing yet on Netflix, but if if you haven't, I'm going to recommend it to you again. But they show the friendships that these guys have on the course. I mean, Jordan Spieth was was Justin Thomas's best man at his wedding, and and they have a moment with both those guys on camera where Jordan says, "This guy's been my lifelong best friend." The moment we tee it up. I want to destroy him. The moment we get off the course, we're best friends again. And I think, you know, you saw the start of it with HGA, but as the, as the national junior tour circuit grew with, with AJGA and like Texas junior golf tour and things like that, 
it's 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 got that AAU environment where these guys have been playing tournaments with each other for 20 years when they were kids. Now that they're adults, they played against each other in college. So they want each other to do well. They they most of these guys genuinely are friends out there. But, you know, Liv certainly created a divide. And I think I mean, I'm curious to see what stories come out of tonight's Masters dinner, because, you know, obviously there are you've got Patrick Reed, you've got Dustin Johnson, you've got Sergio Garcia, you've got Bubba Watson, who are former Masters winners who are now on that live tour. So I'm intrigued to see if there's any, you know, scuttlebutt of, of, of any drama or anything like that that happened at the dinner. That's true. Before I get into my scumbag. Okay. Um, I'll just say, you know, having, you know, having a daughter that played uh, junior volleyball, I'm going to say that junior golf is one of the best things going because golf, golf's an expensive sport, but I'll tell you now, I know I'm old, but when I was playing HGA, it cost $5 to play a tournament. I was just about to ask five freaking dollars. Five freaking dollars. So I, we were 25 a week at tournaments, and I thought that was a steal because we were playing country clubs for 25 yeah, bucks no, a week. I, I remember I played Walden on Lake Conra. Yeah, we played Kingwood bucks. Country Club. We played uh, – Yeah, I played, on a King, I played on a Kingwood for five bucks. I played the Woodlands for five bucks. Um, it, it was just and, – and that was, of course, you know, talking about Walden on Lake Conra. I don't know if you played out there. I that's, have. I, I, had, I had another blow up at that one too. That, that's like going to the dentist without Novocaine. I mean, that it, it's, it's just, you know, that that course will humble you in a hurry. But um, to get into my scumbag, right? My scumbag, again, like, like Tim, uh, if you haven't listened to the uh, political episode, I'm going to invite you definitely check out. We have a, a scientist who came uh, came in early that I, I know really well. Um, but Tim's scumbag, he was going with, you know, some of the mainstream media. So I'm going to go with mainstream media with this one as well. And, and just generally uh, the internet reaction game. So the women's national basketball tournament ended on Sunday night, uh, right before the men's national tournament. And I don't know um, if Tim watched any of the, of those games, but they had the highest ratings. They had the highest ratings that they've ever had ever the women's national tournament. And part of that was a woman, uh, I'm going to call her a woman because she's over 18, Caitlin Clark for uh, University of Iowa. I mean, that team, Iowa, was basically Caitlin Clark and a bunch of other people. I mean, she was, and, and, and how she did not win the player of the tournament is just a, it's a travesty. Because I, I almost I think she nearly averaged forty points. She had a rough game in the finals for her. Threw down thirty. You know she's the leading. You know the leading scorer. All of all scores, she's the leading scorer. Now what LSU did, LSU won the game, and because they had three players with twenty or more points. Now here's where Caitlin Clark comes in. So Caitlin Clark, she's kind of like, uh, and I've heard her described this way the female version of Larry Bird. She's white. She's damn good. And she talks a big game. So what she would do is she would do that John Cena, you know, hand waving across her face. You can't see me. You can't see me. 
kind of said, like, you can't guard me. And she did that, and, and they Iowa beat a South Carolina team that was heavily favored, heavily favored. And so here they come. So we're, we're beating, uh, they're beating South Carolina, and here comes LSU. And they just out and out, LSU, you know, took them to the woodshed. Uh, that was a 102-85 final. So LSU is sitting there, we're cheering, you know, they're, they're you know, cutting down nets. And Alexis Morris, one of the guards, uh, she comes, uh, no, it's Angel Reese, I'm sorry. Uh, Angel Reese, who's uh, one of their forwards, is following around Caitlin Clark and doing the, the hand thing in front of her face, showing off her finger that she's got a ring. So, and if you know anybody who doesn't know Angel Reese, Angel Reese is African-American. So, what's the commentary that night? Oh, you know, Caitlin Clark is so classy, but she does this, you know, can't see me. Angel Reese, oh, you know, she, that, that's just bad. She's a bad character. You know, you can't do that. It's poor sportsmanship. Doing the exact same thing. Now, for Caitlin Carr's benefit, she took it like a champ. She said, you know, yeah, they beat us. You know, that's, she's got another year of eligibility. I think Angel, she has two. I think she was only a sophomore, right? She well, is it a sophomore or junior? I can't remember. Uh, but I thought she had two more years. Angel she has Reese, at least one, you're right. Yeah, Angel Reese is going to be coming back. Now, what's funny about Angel Reese is that she used to play at Maryland. Maryland beat Iowa every year that they played them. So Angel Reese is literally undefeated against Caitlin Clark. And, you know, you have what could shape up to be, you know, a great rivalry that is going to be great for the sport. Uh, I mean, we know how far the rivalry between Magic Johnson and Larry Bird not only took the NBA in the 80s, but took the NCAA tournament forward because they met the championship game. And, you know, it, it's just, you know, those rivalries are great for the sport. And, you know, Bird, you know, he could trash talk like anybody's business. And, you know, some other guys, you know, they could trash talk too. You know, the Lakers, Celtics are going back and forth. I remember watching them in the finals every year. It was entertaining basketball. That was back in the days when they're scoring 110, 120 points without launching a bunch of threes. I mean, everybody's got a mid-range game. I mean, everybody's playing the game, you know, came well. You know, Showtime, Magic's leading the break. It's just entertaining as hell. Entertaining as hell. And so, you know, what are people, what have people done? They've taken something that could be entertaining, could, you know, build momentum with the women's game in the future. And we're going to complain because of how one girl celebrated the exact same way as the other girl. So you can't tell me that there is not a racial component to that. There's no way you can tell me that. Absolutely. I, I think Angel Reese called it herself. She's like, I'm just too hood for y'all. <laughs> like, I, I, I loved it because she's at least being honest with it. Because to be honest, I liked it when Caitlin Clark did it. I liked it when Angel Reese did it. I, I have no problem with a fiery player. If you can back it up. If you can't, you're, you're going to get run out the building real quick. You know, I, I don't like... Kim, is it Malarkey, the, the LSU coach? I'm not a huge fan of her as a human being. I think she's got some beliefs and uh, 
I just I'm, I'm not a fan of her. You know, she's she falls in that Christian fascist category for me. But other than that, you know, she seems to get the best out of her players. Her players believe in her. That was one of the most exciting women's basketball games that did not have the University of Connecticut in it that I've ever seen. Uh, I mean, the men didn't even score 100 points in their in their final. And to have a 102-85 game, I mean, in most college basketball games, 85 points wins you a game. So a 102-85 barn burner like that, that was exciting basketball. Men's, women's, both. I don't care. That was a, that was a fun game to watch. LSU has some athletes. They are so quick. Uh, they ran. They were running a series of um, like pick and rolls from the from the high corner, from the high post, and it was just the explosiveness that their guard had getting around that that pick, and then being able to do whatever they wanted, whether it was a, a pick and pop or a pick and roll. It was it was an untouchable play, and they just rode that play over and over and over again. So um, racism definitely plays something into it, and I think sexism too, because I think if it was two guys going at it. Um, we don't get that, you know, especially because they're both coming back next year. I think you hit the nail on the head there. They're both coming back next year. We should be amping up a fantastic rivalry instead of, you know, crapping all over a, a fantastic young female athlete because we we should be looking forward to a repeat of this matchup. This should be the first game of the season next year. This should be the tip-off of the women's college basketball season, and it should be amped, and it should be something that's talked about for months leading up to the game in a positive way of these girls hate each other. They're ready to go, you know, almost like a boxing fight, right? Where um, everybody spouts off on the way in and everybody's ready for it. And we could have had that, but instead we're, we're villainizing someone for talking trash and backing it up at the end of the day. What's, what's entertaining. Uh, and I don't know if you saw the, uh, I could hear it because I remember I was going for a walk. Uh, just around the neighborhood, um, got the Sirius XM app, you know, so I'm dialed in to Robert Ford and, and that White Sox series and Joe Kelly. Oh, that because, was great. That was comes, great. He comes into the game and he spits the bit. I mean, he just, I mean, it was, it was rough. You know, after three games, the Astros were two and one. You're thinking, hey, this is, you know, we're, do, we're, we're starting to do stuff. And then they lose three in a row. But, he just gets out white booed as he's leaving that game because right, you know, rightfully so he's been a heel and, and there's been people who suggested, you know, there's people who you know, want the Astros to try and you know, be as good as they possibly can. But there are other people who want us to go the other way said, you know, Manfred wants to make you the heel, be the heel. I mean, just go into that, you know, be the, you know, the, just over the top, evil wrestler that everybody hates. Yeah, you know, I mean, it, Joe Kelly had that excerpt from his book where he was alleged he was going to like wait and try and fight the Astros in the hotel. It was oh, just like, yeah. Like, come on, dude. I, Scott, I would kill for the opportunity to square up one-on-one with Joe Kelly. Me. I'm not even on the team. I would destroy that freaking guy. I would kill for the opportunity to sweep that leg. My favorite, my favorite video from the pandemic Sure, you remember oh, when he broke when he's trying to yes. work on his off speed pitch. Yes, he, he's he's got this little you know he's trying to throw a changeup, but he breaks a window. Yeah, he's got this little thing, and it's like you know, and anybody who's ever seen the movie Bull Durham, you know, it's almost like the exact same thing where you know, Duke Crash, <laughs> yeah, Crash Davis said, "Here, hit me with this baseball," and then he breaks the window. 
it was like the exact same. I mean, his wife, you know, is kind of like, what the hell? You know, it's like, uh, that was, it was magic. But yeah, I mean, to me, sports, and, and that's what, you know, my, one of my problems with the NFL is like, anytime anybody starts to celebrate a little bit, we're going to throw a 15 yard flag taunting. It's like, come on, let these guys I, have fun. I remember you know? when I lived in college, I, um, I at one point lived in what was called the soccer house when I was at St. Mary's University. And I was the only person who lived in this house who wasn't on the St. Mary's soccer team. And one day we started talking about goals and celebrations and, you know, like in soccer, why can you celebrate a goal? Like versus why can't you do that in in baseball or football or basketball? And they're like, you know, it's a joyous occasion. You don't score a ton of goals. So you celebrate the goal. And I couldn't agree with you more. If you only hit, 40 homers a year across 162 games. Celebrate that shit. If you if you win the national championship by beating someone who talks a lot of smack, talk a lot of smack. People loved Gary Payton. People loved Gary Payton for the smack that he talked. You know, it's just I, I if if that was Diana Taurasi who was out there doing that at UConn, would people have had the same problem? That's my question. You know, is it is it that she's black? Is it that she's a woman? What is it that you didn't like? Because you had no problem when Caitlin, Caitlin Clark did it in the game before. Um, I, I, I don't get it. I just think you're robbing you're robbing yourself of the rivalry at the end of the day. Is what is what is, is there, Scott? Yeah, and I agree. I, I agree. Some of it is the is the women thing. You know, um, I don't think they. I just don't think as a society we like confrontational women. I I I, I personally love a strong woman, but I think as a society we just expect our women athletes to just do their best. Everybody hug at the end of the game and walk off the court. Like that's not their competitors, just like every other athlete on the world on the planet. Well, my favorite things. And then this is, you know, uh, she'll probably hear me tell the story because she does this every time. Uh, we don't go bowling very often. I mean, we are not avid bowlers, but to this day, Janet till still tells the story about how she was down by like 27 pins coming into the final frame. And she throws three strikes in a row. And she still gives me the business about that to this day. And I think we, that happened before our daughter was born. And, and, and so, and I, and I give her the business because we have, you know, we used to play it on the Wii, you know, bowling on the Wii. And then, she would accidentally toss the ball backwards, you know, and they see the throws. Oh, <laughs> um, it, it's, you know, if you can't have fun, you know, in a, in a competitive environment, you know, you need to stop, stop playing. I mean, sports are fun. You know, yeah, we want to win. We want, you know, we want to do well, but you want to have fun. I mean, I'm going to go uh, have a golfing weekend, you know, with my family here at the end of April. I'm, you know, I might break a hundred. I don't know, but if I don't, I'm still going to have fun. You know, there's there's going to be jokes that are going to get told. There's going to be stories. There's going to be all kinds of, you know, and you're, you're going to talk crap to the guy who shot 105 because you exactly. shot 101. Exactly. I mean, and you're going to do that, and and it'll probably be a family member. Uh, but that's okay. You know, I'll probably pull out the uh, the old. Uh, uh, Shooter McGavin, choke on that, baby! And, you know, but it's it's a blast. Uh, and sports is just too fun. 
to for years my dad refused to play golf with both my brother and I at the same time um because we would just hound each other for 18 holes Scott and I'm talking just two brothers who were raised to be as competitive as possible just needling each other for 18 consecutive holes and our big thing was uh if you missed a putt we'd always go nice try and um I did it I did it to him on the 18th hole he misses a putt. I go, hey, nice try. And he takes his cleats and he takes two of the longest cleat marks across the entire 18th green that I've ever seen in my entire life. And my dad, pretty calm guy, doesn't really get mad. He loses his shit. And he's like, I will never, ever play with both of you together at the same time. My favorite, my favorite, uh, this is with my dad. So, you know, you talk about things going back and forth. We're playing at a golf course. Uh, my sister is visiting North, University of North Texas, so we're playing at this golf course in Denton. And you know the the hotel's on a hill, so you know, the whole thing is like so. We're playing the I think the ninth hole. He's got a putt above the hole. He puts the ball, gets to the bottom of the green. It's still going. Goes off the green. It's still going. It goes like. 80 yards down the fairway. So he's got, you know, he's on the green in regulation. He's got like almost a full wedge coming back to the green. And I swear, I was literally rolling around on the ground laughing. I mean, it was just, you know, and I've had those moments too. I had one where I, I putted it into a bunker and the whole, you know, the whole group is just like, just, they're just rolling around. I mean, and if you can't laugh at yourself and you, you can't, you know, if you can't, you know, take, you know, you take yourself too seriously, then it's time to quit sports and just, you know, try something else that you enjoy. Couldn't, couldn't agree with you more. Um, you know, losing's never fun, but you've got to find a way to have fun out there. And even if it's just on the golf course and touring time with your friends and family, I'm, I'm fortunate enough to have a, a group I play with every Sunday. And, you know, even when we're not playing well, it's good to just, um, have a group of friends you can get out there and enjoy it with. But Scott, I enjoy doing this with you every week, and it's been another great episode here this week. Um, you know, I, I I hope the Astros pick it up here. You know, I was looking at uh, a tweet just now. It's you know the Astros have had losing records the last three years early on in the season, so I, I don't think there's too much cause for concern yet. So I think we'll get things turned around, and and I think you know this time next week when we do another Astros check in, I think we're going to be in a lot better spot. So, you know, just before we sign off here, I just want to, you know, do a, a public service announcement. Um, we do have our Facebook page. And, you know, Tim and I are both on Twitter. So if you have any comments about the show, please, please, you know, we're, we are, uh, are going to bring on some exciting guests here in the future. Uh, we've had a guest now, at least on one of our two shows, uh, the last, you know, three weeks in a row. Yeah, three or four weeks in a row. We had, uh, let's see, we had uh, our WBC Bonanza. We had, uh, you know, Battle Red Blog join us. We had Sean Bajani and we had um, Robert Ford last week. And then and then this week we had we had Janice. We've had four weeks in a row, a month straight of uh, big-time guests at the broadcast. So here's my plea. Um, again, if you hate us, let us know. You know, let us know why. What can we do to improve? Uh, if you love what we're doing, definitely let us know. Give us a good uh, rating. That, that helps us, you know, get recognized you know, on, on, the, on the different platforms for, for podcasts. Uh, but 
if there's an issue you really want us to hit on the, either the politics side or the sports side, let us know. Uh, if you have like somebody who you say like, man, you ought to really ought to talk to that guy or, or you ought to really ought to talk to her. Let us know. Uh, we'll, we'll certainly, you know, make the effort. We'll run it out and see, you know, see what we can do. Uh, but definitely, you know, don't be a stranger. Uh, let us know how, what you're thinking about the show and, and let us know, you know, what you would like to hear in the future. And Scott, when they want to let you know, how are they finding you? Uh, on Twitter, I'm at Sparzilla. Uh, and I'm also, of course, a Battle Red blog and uh, write occasionally for Juanita Jean's Beauty Salon. So uh, under a pseudonym. So you're not going to find my name in there, but uh, I do write there. Um, but, you know, we also have the Facebook page, folks. You know, like the Facebook page. You know, you can subscribe to the podcast so you'll know whenever we have new shows coming out. Uh, don't be a stranger. You know, let us know who you are. Let us know what you think. Yeah, you can find me, Tim underscore Costello 10 on Twitter. And like Scott said, please be sure to like the um, Snapbook Facebook page as we do put some some information out on there every now and then. But it's been a fantastic week, um, some great episodes, some great conversation. And I just more than anything am, am excited to, to sit down and, and watch the Masters. I don't know about you, Scott, but um, I can't say it enough. A tradition unlike any other. I, I look forward to this every every April. Absolutely. And this year it comes on Easter Sunday and I can't think of a better way to spend Easter Sunday than watching the uh, final round of the Masters. Just a little quick snippet for our our betting listeners. Jordan Spieth has won on the last three Easter Sundays. So uh, just putting that out there hasn't always been the Masters, but Jordan Spieth likes the Easter bunny. But that's all we've got for you here this week. We appreciate everybody who joined us. We wish everyone a happy, happy Masters week. And we look forward to being back with you next week on the Snap Hook. Thank you for tuning into the Snap Hook and making Scott and I a part of your week. I wanted to recognize that our intro song is called Energetic Indie Rock by Alex Grohl, and this outro music is Good Vibe by Twisterium. We appreciate everyone who tunes in each and every week and is part of the Snaphook movement. We look forward to seeing you next week on the Snaphook.